Well, here I stand before you, white, male, educated, experienced. I am the picture of power and privilege. But I have to tell you, I don't feel that way most of the time. A small instance. This past week, I went for a medical exam, a medical session, and they escorted me into the exam room, and I sat there for a half an hour. I could hear the physician and her staff giggling outside the door. When she finally came in, she called me by the wrong name. And then she said, oh my goodness, I have the wrong chart. And she disappeared for another five minutes. She swept back in and said, your liver scan looks great. Now I was there for my foot. <laughs> and when we figured that out, she said, well, I have to tell you, I, I need to go and see what medicines I have prescribed for you. And so it went. A small experience, to be sure, one without any uh, evil intent to it at all. But isn't it typical of the way the world grinds us down? I came away from that feeling undervalued and overlooked. And if I feel that way, what about people who aren't white or male or whatever sign of power and privilege you have? Overlooked, undervalued. In today's gospel, we meet Mary. She has gone to visit her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth has been looked down on because she was without a child, but now, thanks to a blessing from God, she is six months pregnant with a little boy who will become John the Baptist. And Mary has her own astonishing blessed news to bring. But Mary is, by outward appearances, the opposite in every way of power and privilege. For one thing, she's young, probably only 14 or so, in a society that valued age. She is a woman in a world dominated and controlled by men. She is poor in a culture that saw wealth as a sign of the blessing of God. She dwelt in a society that was infused with a sense of the divine so that she might well have asked herself, what's the matter with me? Why am I being overlooked? Why am I being undervalued by all the forces of life? And yet, Something astonishing is going on in the background of her life. Something amazing. And she and Elizabeth are celebrating it. 
So when Mary appears before Elizabeth, Elizabeth shouts out, that says a loud cry. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Mary herself proclaims, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor upon his lowly servant. Mary, little Mary, young, poor, female, has just been recruited for the biggest job in the world. And she will participate in the fact that will change everything for all time. My soul magnifies the Lord. And I, in my mind's eye, can see Elizabeth and Mary holding hands and dancing around with the great good news that they have. Truth is, I'd like to be in that dance. Truth is, I'd like to get away from my sense of captivity to feeling undervalued and overlooked. I'd like to see that alternative vision of reality that Mary and Elizabeth seem to have. So in a world like ours that grinds us down, how do we find a way? Well, one of the verses in today's reading, I think, tells us this. Elizabeth said to Mary, Blessed is she who believes the, in the fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken to her. Now, you see that right away. This is not language about being undervalued and overlooked at all. This is language about promise and fulfillment. Those are the words for Advent 4, promise and fulfillment. Now, in Scripture, Old and New Testament, God makes promises all the time. Our God is a God of promise. So we have stories about promises made to uh, Noah, for instance, or Jeremiah, or David, or to the entire people of, of Israel. But the really big promise in the Old Testament is the one given to Abraham. By you, Abraham, all the people of the earth will be blessed. Now, if we take these promises and boil them down, what they come to is this. God says, I will be with you always. I will be with you always to bless, heal, and make whole. That's the promise. Now, soon we will be celebrating Christmas and we will be celebrating the Incarnation, and we will remember again, I hope, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And on Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Jesus, as we have just sung, is Emmanuel, God with us. 
that Jesus is the Word made flesh who dwells among us, that Jesus somehow is the very embodiment of God as a human being. Now, this promise of the presence of God is not just sort of out there in the atmosphere. It takes place for us in time and in space through real people. One of those promises comes to fruition for us when we are baptized. And there, the priest who's baptizing will say a person's name, John or Jane, I baptize you. And in that event, God acts. And God is in essence saying, you are mine. I know you. I will never forget you. You will not be able to get away from me. I am your God present to you. And that changes everything. It's an event in time and space. It's real. For me, oddly, I was baptized on Halloween. Don't know, don't know why, but that's the way it happened. I have a certificate. It tells me when. It tells me where. It tells me who baptized me. It's a historical legal document. In time and space, it happened. God became present. And it'll happen again this morning here in the Eucharist, of course. In the Eucharist, the risen Lord Jesus promises to be present as the bread of life, present feeding us, present nourishing us, present saying, I will dwell in you and you will dwell in me. You'll carry me around in you. The promises of God. God makes promises. God keeps promises always. And that brings us to fulfillment. Blessed is the one who believes in the fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken. That word for fulfillment in the original language is, is, a, is a very uh, important, almost unique word. The idea is that God will take whatever happens in life, whatever is going on with us, whatever grinds us down, and somehow God can, can take that and bring it to a place where it fulfills what God wishes to have done for us and to us and with us. We've all had to deal with uh, the garden hose, haven't we? I, I, I have a question for you. Why is it that when I carefully roll up the garden hose, when it's time to use, it's full of knots? Why is that? So I have to untangle it do all kinds of stuff to it. But in the end, when the water flows, the grass grows. 
God does that untangling to bring to fulfillment everything that God wills for us. Now again, Jesus is the fulfillment of this. In his death about everything you can think of that could go wrong, everything that grinds and undervalues a person down to death itself, it happened to it, and yet there's the resurrection the power of God for new life in a new creation with an alternative vision of reality. And we share in that through our baptism, in our participation in the Eucharist. It's called the Paschal Mystery, the movement from death to life. That's Jesus' story, death to life. It becomes our story in that God will take whatever happens to us and use it to fulfill the will of God. It may not be what we had in mind. It may not be on our schedule, but it will happen. God makes promises, and God always fulfills them. Years ago, <clears throat> Uh, my wife and I were in New York, and we, we visited the cloisters. Uh, this is the Museum of Medieval Art that's operated by the Metropolitan Museum, except it's in a separate building, a very unique uh, building on the very north part of Manhattan Island. And it's filled with astonishing treasures, one of the greatest of which is a large room filled with huge medieval tapestries. They hang from ceiling to floor. They're all oh, that wide at least. They're uh, uh, amazing pieces of art. They're called the unicorn tapestry, tapestries because each has a different view of an, a beautiful, elegant white uniform frolicking in a medieval vision of the forest with flowers and little animals and all kinds of wondrous things going on. Well, the day we were there, the guard was not in the room. So I went over to one and pulled it out from the wall. This is why I'm always in trouble with museum guards. <laughs> I pulled it out. And I said to Sue, look at this mess. The back of these astonishing things is just a tangle, a chaos of threads and strings. And yet the front? Magic. Magic. What if God can take the tangle the mess, the chaos, and make it into magic and beauty and life and service. What if? Do you believe that?